0: The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc., or its employees.
1: Welcome to Smart Companies Radio KC, where you can get the inside scoop on Kansas City's successful business owners and find out how they've transformed their entrepreneurial spirit into a thriving business. And now, here's your host...
2: Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies KC. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media and I want to remind all of you that our 25 under 25 awards are coming up on March 8th. That's an annual gala. This year is the 13th annual. We're very excited about it because not only are we honoring the 25 small businesses that have fewer than 25 employees, but we are also honoring three legacy award winners, Mr. Donald Hall, Mr. Burt Berkeley, and Mr. Bill Dunn Sr. We give that award out to individuals who have made Kansas City a better place for entrepreneurs to do business. And so we hope all of you come out and join us on March the 8th. Register at www.25under25.com. And those are numerals, not spelled out, 25 under five. And speaking of our Legacy Award winners today, we have with us Mr. Greg Baker, who was the first president of the Kansas City Minority Supplier Development Council, now known as the Mid-America Minority Supplier Development Council, who was right there on the ground floor when the council got started, and so he's here today to talk with us about why that was so important, talk about those early days, and the legacy that these three men in particular have left to Kansas City. So welcome to the show today, Greg.
0: Thank you so much for having me, uh, Kelly. It's a wonderful time in Kansas City's history, and I'm very excited about trying to uh, help Understand how significant the work was
2: and significant it was let's let 's go back to the time period in which the council was founded. What was going on then, and why was the idea of an organization like this council? So important, you know, in in maybe as opposed to other organizations that could have been started at the time, too.
0: Well, you know, there were several things that were going on in Kansas City, Missouri, that sort of set the tone uh, for the Supplier Council, which was the correct choice at the time. As I look back on it, if you think about Kansas City, for example, at that time, uh, was going through an economic resurgence. It was sort of after 53 years downtown was sort of being renovated. And the AT&T Pavilion was part of that. There was a new hotel uh, that was going on. Uh, and many minority suppliers were very upset because they were not doing business are getting any of the business in that.
2: Right. Now, uh, now can I you interrupt know, you for just yeah. a minute? Can you tell us the time period for listeners who may not be as familiar as you and I sure. are with this? What time sure. period are we talking about?
0: We're, we're talking about the early 80s. I returned okay. to Kansas City from Washington, D.C. in 1982 and took a job at the Chamber of Commerce. So from 82 until about 85, 87, mm-hmm. uh, those were very, very critical periods of time. This town, the town was full of racial strife. Uh, You had a failing school system. The school system was about ready to go into uh, litigation over the changes there. Uh, The city was marked with high murder rates. Uh, There were limited business business opportunities in Kansas City. I recollect that uh, ministers had uh, picketed the Kansas City Star because they'd singled out civil rights leaders, and and really, it was was very difficult, very tough. And uh, the uh, civic and business community had been meeting behind the scenes uh, discussing this, and they didn't know at that time what to do. Uh, And so what you saw, I mean, there were some group of people that wanted to study the issues of the minorities. Uh, That didn't go very far. Mm -hmm. There were others who wanted to segment out certain minorities and test it and just see what could be done. Uh, And then there were the minority suppliers themselves who were meeting with people around the country on what could be done about it, and they settled on the work of Chicago United, which was the real uh, beginning, the, the starting place for the National Minority Supplier Development Council. It's the place where the first, it was the birth of the first Purchasing Council in America, mm-hmm. well, suppliers of Kansas City uh, had uh, invited Steve Christie into the Kansas City community to talk to them about this as a potential program. And when he got through visiting with them, he convinced them that the Purchasing Council was the best way to go because it was all about uh, new business and getting access Uh, to corporate purchasing, which was something that was non-existent in Kansas City at the time. So if you can imagine uh, the the tension in the city, it was a racial powder keg in the city, and people were just not very excited about it, that our business community uh, was deliberately uh, working as hard as they could to come up with solutions. And we were meeting in the Chamber of Commerce Uh, almost weekly to Mm -hmm. try to figure this out. And ultimately when the concept of a purchasing council hit the table, I of course was assigned to go study it uh, and to present uh, information about the facts of this to not only the civic council, but to the chamber. uh, And the decision was made uh, that it would be a purchasing council. I will never forget the meetings. They were just some of the most interesting times at all. But, They settled on this Purchasing Council idea. The Civic Council stepped up uh, and supported it financially and said, let's get this program started. So so their hope at that time was to mitigate and reduce the racial tensions uh, in Kansas City by creating business opportunities for minority suppliers. And you know you have to understand, Kelly, uh, not everybody was on board with this. Of course not. I mean, they were widely criticized. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Well, uh, you know the the guys that we're talking about today uh, at, at this celebration, these men were on board with this is the right thing to do and and let me let me not uh, go another step without saying that while Don Hall and Bert Berkeley and Bill Dunn. Certainly, put their shoulder to the wheel. Uh, there were five minorities that were at the table who yes. really helped to get that. And I want to call their names out because they made such a contribution, and the community should never forget them. That was Herman Johnson, Everett P. O'Neill, Willie Wesley, Bob Jones, and Hector Barreto. Those men were as passionate about this as anybody at the table, and they worked in partnership worked in partnership uh, to get this going. And it was a big deal for them when when um, they learned of this one-member concept uh, that they should leave
2: the board. That was a major, major move. Let me stop you for just a minute. When you say one-member concept, explain what you mean by that.
0: One-member concept was the better councils felt that If you were going to have CEOs on a board, they needed to be there with their peers. And if they got into any kind of difficulty or disagreement, that they would not be likely to criticize one another in front of the minorities. That was one reason. The second reason was, and this was to me, uh, and and I'm learning all this at the time because I'm a student at that time. Of course. When they told me, they said, unless the minority – can tender business with the other minorities, he or she should not serve on the board. It mm-hmm. made the best sense in the world. So, in other words, if you could create policy in your organization and you could commit business in your organization, you were the candidate that needed to be on that board. And the minorities unanimously voted to get off the board, get the right guys on the board who could create business for them and I'm telling you they were geniuses that's what happened
2: yeah and and that that was key and the three men that we are honoring on March the 8th as you say they they weren't the only ones but they they are the three that are still living and they did mu- put their muscle to their shoulder to the wheel I think is what you said so what what exactly did they do? Because as you, you you painted a great picture of a not very pretty landscape in Kansas City at the time. Now this is accepted, but back then this was such a it, it was a progressive idea, and as you said, not accepted by a lot of people. So what did what did these men have to do in concert with the minority business leaders as well? What finally started to break down those barriers?
0: They they did key things. The first thing that they did, most of them went back to their respective companies and they set policy that said to their procurement departments, here's what we want to do. We want to do business with minority suppliers. And here's how we do that. There's a there's a video that was produced by KCPNL called a Dream Deferred. Get that. Get that because it is a detailed report by Drew Jennings, who was chairman of KCP&L at the time, and Burt Berkley, who, believe me, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. Anyway, uh, these men lay out point by point by point on how you do business with minority suppliers. Now, here's a nuance to that. When, when I gave one of my first reports to Burt Berkley on the status of minority suppliers, he was so alarmed. He said, if we don't ask the business community to give business to these minority suppliers of Kansas City, Greg, there are not going to be any left. Because if just, just a minor digression to give you some statistics, in 1972, the state recorded 11,000 minority-owned firms uh, in the state. Of of Missouri. Missouri. By the time I became active with the program in 1985, there were less than 2,400 in Kansas City, Missouri. And you, the real indices was there were 11 manufacturers in the early 70s in Kansas City, and that's the place where real capital-intensive business is that had dwindled down to less than four. So Burt recognized that. He said, we, no, we've got to stop this. We've got to ask the companies to give business to the suppliers. And I said to Bert, I said, well, how do you do that? These guys don't want you to give them anything other than an opportunity. He went to the Civic Council, and he explained his program, and the Civic Council and other business leaders said, we agree with Bert, and so we're going to do it. And they did. And I was, mm-hmm. I was, I mean, I was aghast because I thought Bert was going to get clobbered in this. Mm-hmm. But that's not the way it worked out. The business community stood up and said, count us in, and they delivered. So so here's how it worked. Technically, when Bert was on board, I would go out and I would call on companies every single day. Not a day went by. I mean, I remember recording in one November over 100 firms that I talked to, documented it, and went back, and Bert and I would go over each and every one of those.
2: We're seeing three and four companies a day.
0: Don Hall was, did did it in a similar fashion. He took a page out of Bert's book, and when I, when he was chairman of the board, we did it in a similar fashion, a similar way. We met at the American restaurant almost weekly, talking with business people about doing business with minorities. And it was clear, there was, Kelly, there were some – Companies I went to, I mean, I could not believe their attitude. But our attitude was if you don't want to do business with minority suppliers, that's okay. Nobody is going to say a word about it. This is Kansas City. We'll keep it to ourselves and go on. Clearly, I I would tell minority suppliers, that's not a favorable company. Don't waste your time. And so that was part of it. But by by me doing that, being on the ground every day, Reporting to Bert, if there were instances where a company did not agree or I felt that something was wrong, Bert would call those people. Don would call those people. They would have a face-to-face meeting or telephone conversation. And believe me, after they, peer-to-peer conversations, these guys would call in and say, send Greg back over here. I think we can do something. (laughs) And I would go there. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And so, so of course, they had a plan, and the plan worked. And I was excited about the work because I said, "Hmm, this formula is the formula." And and here was the, so I would come back to the office, notify all the suppliers that might have been related to that business, and I said, "Listen, I want you to go and call on these firms." And they would go there, and they would call on the firms and do business. Joe Wrangle is a clear example of that. That guy would follow me all over the city. If I came up and gave him a thumbs up, he knew to go in. If I gave him a thumbs down, he would keep going. <laughs> and, and so so it worked out. And we saw numerous suppliers who did not believe that this would work in their behalf, who their attitudes changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we We started seeing much more of an upswing in Kansas City. And clearly it was because the Civic Council and these leaders, Bill, Bert, Don, Drew, uh, Rich Vege, and a number of others, they did the groundwork of saying this is the right thing to do for our community. We are doing it. We urge you to do it. And people were jumping on board. I can remember another case, uh, Dave Stanley, who was just an astronomical superman. David took a minority supplier and his family, uh, helped them to get started in business. That business did about seven hundred thousand dollars a year before David started working with them. Mm-hmm. And in two years' time they were doing in excess of twenty-five million dollars oh a year in business. They'd gone from three employees to seventy, and it was specifically because David, the CEO, chairman of the board of payless cashways, he rolled up his sleeves. And he made it happen, and the right. supplier delivered, and so you had a great partnership. And so we saw in our community clear examples of the buy-in. Many, many CEOs were lining up to do something like that. Or, and so, so there was this flow of minorities uh, doing what they were supposed to do. We were training them. We were preparing them. We were knocking on the doors. There was a presence here. And it involved the entire community. It yes, wasn't yes. just KCMSDC. It was the the Civic Council, the business community, the Small Business Administration. All of the minority organizations in Kansas City, Missouri, were on board with this, and they were learning from one another what could be done. And so the, the whole model of the CEO became the standing model for the nation and Kansas City, was unique because they were the only city in the in the United States that worked like that. So we grew exponentially in terms of sales, in terms of effectiveness, uh, and I say it, it has to be attributed to the work of these key men that you will be honoring in Kansas City, Missouri.
2: Yes, and when we get back, I, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, I want to talk about – some of the impact that this had and where we go from here. You're listening to Smart Companies KC. We'll be back. Do you practice entrepreneurship? Intrapreneurship? Do you know how to show what you know? Benedictine College Executive MBA Program has been the launching pad for many successful, innovative products, services, and ventures. As the only one-year Executive MBA Program in Kansas City, our conveniently located North Johnson County campus and weekend class times will fit your busy schedule. Go to benedictin.edu EMBA to learn more about our program.
1: This is Devon Blumberg, host of Divine Leverage Success from the Inside Out. And I want to tell you about an exciting event for our listeners who are in the Kansas City area on the 27th of February at 6.30 p.m. at Johnson County Community College. A Green Affair is an opportunity for a very small donation for you to come out and enjoy 15 locally sourced restaurants and their signature dishes, a sampling of their delightful food to support five local nonprofits who are all engaged in green initiatives in the Kansas City area. So if you're someone who wants to do business with green commerce, you want to bring green initiatives into your business, or you just want to support a really good event and have a great time I'm doing it, go to my Facebook page, Devon Plumberg Biz on Facebook. You'll see a posting and a link at the top of the page where you can register Thursday, February 27th and enjoy a green affair.
2: Welcome back to Smart Companies KC. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. And we're talking here today with Greg Baker, who is the first president of the Kansas City Minority Supplier Development Council. He's talking to us about the formation of the council back in the early 80s, why that was so critical to the Kansas City business community to bring minority companies together with the majority companies, the big corporations, in order to make Kansas City a better place for all businesses. And I think one of the key points that you made earlier, Greg, is that this was not just the result of of corporate leaders. This was not just the result of – minority business leaders. It wasn't the result of any one or two organizations. It was the entire business community coming together to make this happen. And the buy-in at the beginning anyway wasn't necessarily an easy thing. And so you had some of the minority business leaders putting them, like yourself even, putting themselves on the line to convince the minority businesses that this is real this is something that we can we can get done and on the flip side the corporate business leaders getting their cohorts to say yes we will give minority business owners an equal opportunity in this contracting so it was the entire group working together and then the mm-hmm. second thing that i think is is really important you mentioned that one of the companies just using this company as an example as a result of the council being formed and these new Opportunities being open to minority businesses went from $700,000 in annual revenues to $25 million in revenues for many, many years. That is huge when a company can scale like that simply because opportunities are now open to them. Talk about using that as an example, that one, because we know there were many examples like mm-hmm. that. But mm-hmm. using that one, talk to us about some of the impact of a company being able to grow like that due to these new relationships.
0: Well, well normally your banker is pulling his hair out saying, wait a minute, <laughs> this is too bad. <laughs> right. But the, but the reality was uh, that David Stanley, who I say is a rare individual he had a vision about helping uh, Kansas City. He believed that there needed to be wealth in the minority community, and it needed to be demonstrated clearly. He felt strongly about that, and he worked hard to do it. So by him identifying a minority supplier, a perfection industrial supplier, that was Jim Rote, uh, he worked with Jim. And, now think about it this way, Kelly. Mm-hmm. Here was a guy who struggled daily to get his business off the ground, and he was competing with other minorities in a very similar business. To have an opportunity or a blessing, if you will, by a person who could set the policy and make this happen, such as a CEO, mm-hmm. good things happen. So he goes from three employees to seven hundred seventy employees overnight. Imagine what that does to any community when you've got 70 new jobs created as a result of a contract. Right. Now, just think about that. 70 new jobs. That means that... People in that community who may not have had jobs you know and were on were not on the tax rolls are now getting a paycheck putting money back on the tax rolls. If they were on welfare, they now are no longer on welfare and most of these were labor top type jobs but they were good jobs yes uh, they could afford to pay for their house payments, their automobiles, etc. Crime if you're if you're working every day, typically you're you know too tired to be doing the crime, so <laughs> crime diminished. So all of these you could begin to see the health of the community turning around as a result of that. And there were a number of suppliers in Kansas City, Missouri, where the connection became with the corporations, you know, if we give this supplier a contract, you know, eighty-five to ninety percent of the minority suppliers in this nation will hire from within the community. So it was more than just a quid pro quo. It was, look, there's an economic development impact that develops as a result of minorities earning business. So what's a million-dollar contract worth to somebody like Mark McAfee of Rightway Magic Supply, who was, I mean, when he first came to the council, I told Mark, I said, my goodness, you've got five babies to take care of. We can't charge you to become a member of the Supplier Council. He wanted that. The Minority Buyers Committee adopted this individual, worked with him and his wife, and turned that into a multi multimillion-dollar uh, company. And Mark, Mark got a large contract with one of the local ammunition places here, and I can remember the stories of how he went there, gave every one of those new employees a $20 bill, his commitment to them to be a good CEO, and that he needed them to work and to be at work on time, and it just went off. And you would see examples of this throughout the community. So so you got people working. you got people getting contracts. You know, they're talking about the economics of getting a good part of the American dream. And that's what this council was doing as a result of what was going on at the top. Because contracts were now flowing, buyers, there were 700-plus buyers in Kansas City. And the king of the buyers at that time was a guy by the name of Bill McNeil, William McNeil of Hallmark Cards. Let me tell you, those guys went out with passion, and they really impacted on their peers. They taught them how to do it. And so we saw this real growth, this growth spurt in Kansas City, Missouri, as a result of all these people working together, we saw the community changing because now you were seeing more and more minorities in general getting jobs as a result of new contracts. You had a new sense. And the result of it was this. When we first started in Kansas City, we had our first annual luncheon. We had maybe 150 people to come to the luncheon. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, by the time we finished, we were and there was only, it was only a three four person staff, Kelly right a thousand people were coming to those luncheons because the feeling in the community was that so much was going on at the minority supplier council. if you were not in that room, then you probably were missing out on one of the greatest business opportunities that you could ever gain, and people would rush to get in there and fill up the rooms because there would be CEOs from companies all over the city coming to sit down with the minority and to join the activity. It was a peer-to-peer relationship. It was a social phenomenon that worked in Kansas City, Missouri. It was an economic boom. You know, and and the Civic Council and the business leaders, they owned this. This was not a social program. This was not a religious program. This was a program strictly dedicated to business and growing minority suppliers. And and so you would see the growth of an organization went from like 42 43 minority suppliers to 185 of the top key suppliers in the community doing close to half a billion dollars worth of business on basically a nominal investment. Crime was being minimized as a result of that. The people were coming off of welfare. I mean this this dovetails into so right. many other parts of the community, it would take me all afternoon to tell you you about what people did.
2: Right. Just a full circle effect. And, And I want to bring us up to the present time very quickly because we are running out of time right now. But I think it's important to note that the the council has grown so that not only are the contracting opportunities available but in order to make these suppliers better suppliers they there are mentoring a lot of these corporations have now developed mentoring programs and they've also developed educational programs to help make suppliers better business people and that that is another outgrowth of the council and all of the work that's done that was done by the the people that we are honoring as well as people like you, Greg. Thank you so much for being with us today to give us these insights and to help us understand something that probably a lot of us take for granted now in the business community. Thank you for your time. If you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit our website at com. Follow us on Facebook at Thinking Bigger Business Media or on Twitter at IThinkBigger. Have a great weekend.
1: We'll see you next week.